Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 260 of the show, and I'm really glad that you're here because this this conversation today is an important one. Uh, I want to give a trigger warning up front. We're talking about abuse, and so if you are in a place where you are recovering from abuse, uh, sorting through your past experiences with abuse in some sort of abusive relationship, whether it be uh, with a significant other, something in regards to your family, your workplace, whatever it might be, I just want to throw it out there that we're talking about abuse today and trauma and lots of different uh, big, big words. Uh, the guest for the show is Karen Tate. This is her first appearance on the show. And I don't know how I haven't known of her, <laughs> really. I mean, she reached out to me through email and said that uh, Matthew Fox, who wrote the foreword to her book, who has been on the show before, recommended that she maybe come on the podcast and talk about the book. I'm like, sure. A friend of Matthew Fox is a friend of mine, <laughs> you know? And so I got her book and I read it. And I'm like, wow, this book is so interesting. The, the title of the book is Normalizing Abuse. And the subtitle is A Commentary on the Culture of Pervasive Abuse. And what she talks about in this book, and this is a, this is a long book, so I'm not going to do it much, much justice in my 10-second explanation. But what she does in this book, she talks about how we live in this world where abuse is normalized, like where we take for granted that it's normal for certain types of abuse to happen and take place, whether it be in a, in a relationship, whether it be in a family situation, whether it be in the workplace, in the academic system, uh, it's in the world in general, different things that happen on a regular basis that we don't think a thing of, but at the very nature, at their very core, they are abusive in and of themselves and they are leaving a lasting effect on our lives and on our culture. And so she talks about kind of how this, how abuse becomes normalized. She brings a lot of the church into it, a lot about patriarchy, different things like that. Such an interesting book. We didn't cover nearly as much ground as I wanted to in this conversation uh, because there's so much to cover, but she did a fantastic job in kind of going down a couple of rabbit holes with me. And uh, you've got to get this book. Do yourself a favor, get the book. Really, really, really good stuff. And a really good stuff to take with you on a regular basis. Because what I'm realizing after reading this book is that we all have a hand. We all have a hand in some way, many times, in normalizing abuse. We all have a hand in creating this culture that we live in. Uh, but we, we can be difference makers uh, with a few things that she outlines in this book. If we, t if we put those things at the forefront of our minds, we can be difference makers in the way that we denormalize abuse. Uh, in our world and in our culture. So anyway, really good stuff coming up. I'll uh, put her links in the show notes to her book, her website, all those different things. Uh, also in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to Patreon if you want to support the show, uh, some links to my books as well. And uh, yeah, I want to tell you something. What was I going to tell you? Something was it nothing to do with the podcast. Oh, Halloween's coming up. Uh, do you have kids in your house? Because I've got a kid. She's six. And is it normal? <laughs> is it normal? For them to like not be able to make up their mind about their Halloween costume, right? One minute, Jordan wants to be 
like Elsa or Anna and from you know from Frozen and then it's I want to be a dinosaur and I want to be a cat I want to be Gabby from Gabby's Dollhouse I want to be Wednesday Wednesday Adams back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth and every time we go to the Halloween store because she loves the Halloween store so we go there like a hundred times a week she always gets upset with me because I won't buy a costume I'm like dude you need to pick a costume that you're going to wear because the costume that I buy is the costume you're going to wear and you're going to like it, right? And she just, she, she can't make up her mind which one she wants. And I get it because you go in the Halloween store and you're just like everything. You just want to be everything, right? Like even I feel that way. Like, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. We got to land. We got to land on a, uh, on, on a costume. So anyway, I think we're getting close. I think we're narrowing it down. I think we're going to be a cat. That's what I think is going to happen this year. She loves cats. So I think I think she's going to be a cat, but who knows? It could change. It could change. But I'm looking forward to Halloween and trick-or-treating. And, you know, I got I got to comb through the bag of candy. got to make sure it's okay, right? And I got to test a couple pieces, make sure they're okay. And I can't just give give you all the candy, you know what I'm saying? So when she goes to bed, I got to hunt through some of the <laughs> candy and see see what we got in there. So... Anyway, it's going to be a good time. But uh, all that to say, my friends, that's it. Uh, That's it. This is episode number 260, Normalizing Abuse with my friend Karen Tate. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are sitting down with Karen Tate, who wrote an amazing book called Normalizing Abuse, a commentary on the culture of pervasive abuse. And so, Karen, uh, welcome to the podcast. I've been looking forward to our conversation and learning from you. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Glenn. I've been looking forward to it as well. Yeah, definitely. So before we get into your book uh, and your work, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, especially for people who aren't familiar with you? Uh, who sure. are you? What do you do? Tell us the things we need to know about Karen. <laughs> hmm, okay. Well, uh, Karen started out um, in the Bible Belt of New Orleans and uh, a recovering Catholic, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, in that sort of um, a racist white supremacist bubble, you know, uh, watched Fox News, thought Rush Limbaugh was a god. Uh, and then, um, you know, then the bubble burst and, you know, moved to California and, um, you know, my husband and I and uh, discovered a feminine face of God, which mm. I didn't, um, you know, had had not much clue about, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, my perch, uh, you know, at, in, in New Orleans. Uh, so that... Um, uh, you know, I start. I married my passions of travel mm-hmm. and ancient cultures, and this newfound interest, which I was falling fast for, uh, you know, in the sacred feminine. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I started doing travel all around the world, and uh, I, I, I uh, was just um, ecstatic about standing in these sacred sites where uh, the sacred feminine. 
um, you know, was revered, uh, you know, in, in the center of culture rather mm. than in a patriarchal culture like we have, where most a lot of people don't ever discover it. You know, it took me to, uh, you know, I was 30 years old before I discovered it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that was really um, my launching pad for uh, feminism, ecofeminism, uh, goddess spirituality, social justice, because I started to understand that, you know, goddess wasn't just these uh, mythological characters that they forced on us in eighth grade. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, there was so much more to it. And, um, you know, there were egalitarian societies and matriarchal societies. It hasn't always been this way and it doesn't have to continue to be this way, you know? Yeah. Isn't um, that funny? Not funny, but like, isn't it odd that that's like such, I feel like that should be very common knowledge, but it's like, so like for me, like I went to private Christian school, Bible college, seminary, and I didn't come across these ideas until just six years ago or so when I, yeah. maybe when I first talked to Matthew Fox, he was on, he was on the podcast and he and brought he up a lot of these things. Yeah. yeah and he, he brought up, brought up a lot of uh, things. And I was just like, what, what is this? Why didn't I learn? Why didn't, why didn't I know any of this stuff? <laughs> well, well, you know, that's a really good question. And it points to my chapter on abuse in academia mm -hmm. and also abuse in religion yeah. and also abuse in society and culture. It's designed this way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really believe it. I mean, I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there's a reason it isn't taught in school. There's a reason it's demonized yeah. uh, because when you start to realize there's another way for the world to be shaped there's another way to look at how we interact with human beings doesn't have to be about you know predator capitalism and patriarchy um you know there were religions that you know honored a feminine face of god for thousands and thousands of years yeah. and yeah you know uh, i i think there's there's a reason this is not taught in mainstream schools, just like right now, Republicans are fighting against, um, you know, critical race theory and, yeah. you know, and uh, the real history of the United States and yeah. banning books. Yeah. Knowledge yeah. is power. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Listeners, buckle up because we're going to go to some places uh, in a few minutes. <laughs> But uh, before we get into the the book, uh, Karen, there's a few things and there's a few terms in the book that you use quite often. I want to make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page as to what we're talking about. We've already mentioned a couple of them, but they are abuse and exploitation and trauma. And I think that each of those terms carries baggage in their own right. And I think that if we pulled like 30 people we'd probably get 30 different definitions for those words. So as we kind of go into this discussion and these words may or may not come up, uh, can you maybe just define them very quickly for us in the context of your book and maybe give like an example of each one if you could? Okay, well, you know, there's a, these words cover a spectrum, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we're talking about maybe, you know, whether it's abuse or exploitation, um, you know, we're, we're talking about something that can be, you know, minor, you know, yep. potentially, uh, you know, maybe some sort of microaggression or uh, some sort of, um, 
uh, you know, an, an, an unkind word, mm-hmm. you know, all the way to, um, you know, stealing somebody's intellectual property or raping someone or killing someone or, um, I mean, the, the gamut, you know, it, it's it's just a huge spectrum uh, from genre to genre. Mm. So, you know, I think it's going to depend on the, the context in which we're talking about it. But one of the points of the book was to bring to the fore that so many of the things we um, just accept as normal yeah. are really abuse or exploitation, and we don't even think about it. Yeah, I think that, that's a huge thing. I remember I worked at Apple for 11 years, and I was fortunate enough that I was on the business team. So it was like me and one other person in the retail store working on this team. And uh, she's been on the podcast before. Her name is December Wells, and she's um, part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, she's black, and she's very much into this kind of discussion. And she helped bring so much awareness to me about things like microaggression, things like that, that I just thought were normal. Like, I, this is just the way that it is. And she was, she would help me understand, like, that's just, that's not the way that it is. Like, it's, it's as like a, as a, as a white man who is privileged in many senses, you don't see a lot of these things that she said, I see as a gay black woman who was brought up in a much different in a part, like much different uh, type of world. And so like just having like my eyes opened up to all these things, like when I was reading your book, I'm like, ah, oh, yes. Like I remember talking about these kind of things with her because these were things that I was never aware of before. But like you said, yeah. there, is a, there is a spectrum of these things and it comes up in many, many places, whether it's the home, the workplace, the church. Um, yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fact, in the book, you know, at the very beginning and, and I mean, and it's not the end all and be all, mm-hmm. but, you know, I tried to redefine it and listed dozens of different things that would be abuse, you know, uh, listed under different categories, yeah. you know, things that you wouldn't even probably think were abuse. Like, for instance, I'll give you one example, if mm-hmm. if, if you'd like sure. a, a non-disclosure agreement. You know, that sounds pretty benign, right? Non-disclosure mm-hmm. agreement. Um, they used, you know, they're pretty common. You work for a corporation and uh, you're getting ready to leave and they ask you to sign a non-disclosure agreement so you don't share their secrets. Sure, yeah. that's, that's, you know, nothing wrong with that. But non-disclosure agreements have become a dirty little tool for evil people to hide the nasty stuff that they do, right? right. Yeah. Um, so it's cover for misuse, bad deeds, um, you know, things that maybe they have inflicted upon other people yeah. that uh, they want to keep secret. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's just uh, one example, you know, yeah. things, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, you you go, you know, you're in the workplace and, you know, your boss, uh, you work in the personnel department and, you know, your boss tells you, look, you've got these 10 positions to fill, but uh, I don't want a woman. I don't want a black person. I don't want a disabled person. I don't want somebody if they're 50, they're too much trouble. Yeah. Uh, they've just told you to break the law. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then what do you do? Yeah. You know, what do you do? Do you, uh, you know, to keep your job, you probably do what they tell you, but you've just been complicit in, um, in breaking the law. Yeah, we consider that to be normal, right? But when you break it down like that, you can see yeah. how abnormal it really is. 
Yeah, yeah. Or your boss says, oh, you know, I want you to go do such and such. And uh, maybe it's not safe. And you say, well, you know, maybe, you know, I don't I don't think I should do that. It's not safe. And he says, well, you know, I hire you for eight hours. Um, You know, I tell you what you're going to do and I expect you to do it. So do you put yourself in unsafe work conditions? Well, he shouldn't even have asked you to do that because the onus is on him to. Uh, provide you a safe work environment you know i mean so there's so many layers of all of this yeah all right so i want to start off if it's okay with you by reading for our listeners a section from from your book if i may read your words <laughs> absolutely, absolutely go right ahead um so the introduction this is going to be from the first paragraph this is how you open up the book and i'd like you to respond to just a particular piece we've already touched on it but maybe go a little bit deeper uh, because honestly, like this is not how I expected the book to begin, right? Because I immediately I judge the book by the cover all the time and the title, things like that. So I'm like, okay, it's gonna be a book about abuse, probably gonna have like a lot of psychology, a lot of stuff in there. And then I open, I read this first paragraph. I'm like, what is this book going to be about? And I was immediately hooked. Like I thought it was a brilliant way to start the book. And then I could see why Matthew Fox wrote the wrote the forward because I was like, oh, of course, because this right up his alley. So anyway, I'm gonna read this for our listeners. And then we'll kind of see where, where you're going to take us. But you open up the book and you say, as a result of the three patriarchal religions, divorcing God from goddess, deserting and distorting the divine feminine archetype, the earth is no longer sacred and we live with the catastrophic effects. We devalue humanity and are no longer in service to life. We are plagued with endless war, corruption, greed, and the destruction of the planet. Personally, professionally, and socially, We are regaled with verbal manipulation, lies, corruption, and manufactured consent. Through more and more media outlets, this bombardment has only normalized and dimmed our ability to recognize it, conditioning us to accept escalating abuse and domination. And so what I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about is this this idea of the three patriarchal religions, divorcing God from goddess, maybe like a little bit more about what that means, but then really intentionally about like, what does that have to do with abuse? Because in my mind, I can feel like I can kind of see where the connection is, but maybe for our listeners, take us a little bit deeper into what that connection is. Okay. All right. Well, uh, to start with, um, you know, like we started off the interview talking about Uh, some of these topics people Mm -hmm. never discover. So I'm going to mention, you know, Rianne Eisler, the famous book, The Chalice and the Blade. Um, um, You know, it should be required reading. You know, (laughs) she goes back, you know, 30, 40,000 years and shows us uh, archaeologically, uh, anthropologically, Um, that humanity actually worshipped a feminine face of God long before they got into this idea of a male God. Mm -hmm. And we have evidence that uh, these cultures were different than the culture that we live in today. Uh, For instance, the Minoan culture on Crete, um, we believe that, you know, there were for a long period of time, um, you know, this was a culture that, 
um, you know, women were at the, you know, at the forefront, they were about beauty, they were about the common good, uh, the sacred feminine and um, life, uh, the sacredness of life and the connection to nature. Uh, it, it was all um, you know, it was all wrapped up in in one, and um, it, it and it would seem, you know, uh, because of this, you know, common good, and you know, this uh, the lack of, you know, misogyny and sexism, um, you know, that uh, we. You know, the, the people didn't have the same struggles that, mm. um, you know, that we're having today. Uh, you know, that's that's one example. I mean, there are many cultures uh, from the ancient past that, uh, you know, they didn't, you know, war was not a thing. You know, if mm. their metals were not made uh, for, you know, instruments of war, their metals were made to make plows or mm. musical instruments and things like that. So people lived a different life a very long time ago. And um, it's it's now it's um, accepted, I believe, uh, that, you know, women were so much more in ancient cultures. They weren't just breeders. Uh, you know, they uh, more than likely, you know, were the creatrixes of civilization, mm. uh, discovered agriculture and uh, animal husbandry and pottery and weaving. And, you know, in, and when you have all of those things put together, that's the beginning of communal living that's the beginning of civilization but in patriarchy when things shift and patriarchal culture comes along you know um we lose the feminine face of god and mm. by association women are now second class citizens you know goddess has gone from the creatrix of the world to maybe if she's lucky um, you know, some God's wife, mm. uh, you, you see Hera, uh, she's been reduced to, uh, this petulant wife chasing after her philandering husband, Zeus, or mm. Aphrodite is just the boudoir babe. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and as these goddesses, uh, in their full power disappear from society, you know, so goes, um, the status of women in society. Before you know it, we have this patriarchal society where there's God at the top and men, uh, you know, right under God and everything else on the planet, uh, you know, the animals, uh, you know, all that the earth, you know, uh, provides to sustain us, you know, women, children, you know, we are all here at the service of man and God. Yeah. Uh, you have stories like the Garden of Eden, which sets women up uh, to, you know, be told that, you know, because of Eve's decision now women should suffer. Uh, you know, women should submit to their husbands. Women just become second-class citizens. Yeah. And that's still the case in, you know, a lot of the patriarchal religions. Yeah. And I would say that uh, living like that, living in inequality, living in oppression, in submission, um, you know, all of these different things, this is abuse, this is exploitation, this is not, um, you know, this is not love, compassion, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is not the way we could be living. This is structured, um, you know, for, 
uh, male authority, hmm. uh, male domination. Uh, and we end up with a lot of things as a result. You know, 70% of women retire in poverty because they don't make equal pay. Um, you know, we have bride burnings, infanticide, female genital mutilation. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. So the the idea then, the argument, uh, the I guess the the proposition in the book then is that as as uh, these three religions have emphasized the role of men and have kind of put maleness at the top and have then pushed uh, the feminine away, that that has kind of opened up the door for abuse and different things like that to kind of come through and make a yeah. home in our world. Would that be a good way to kind of position yeah. the context of the book? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's not what the whole book is about. Sure. Yeah. But that's sort of the, you know, the, the gender side, mm -hmm. if you will, yeah. you know, uh, you know, you look at, um, you know, the witch burnings in Europe, yeah. you know, uh, you know, the millions of women that were victims of that, you know, and it became a cottage industry. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many, you know, uh, you know, there's so much that, uh, you know, women have really endured and still endure. I mean, you know, a woman in the Middle East can be raped, uh, but uh, because she was raped, um, that brings shame to her family so she can be stoned to death. Yeah. Um, you know, we have places where a woman is raped and, uh, you know, she has to marry her rapist. Mm. I mean, th th there's just all sorts of horrible things that happen, you know, women's bodies or, um, you know, or, you know, she's the temptress, you know, she's mm -hmm. either the Madonna or the whore, right? Yep. Um, her sacred blood is dirty. She's relegated to the menstrual hut because if she walks, you know, walks through the crops while she's on her period, the crops could die. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, there's all of these crazy ideas that still live today. Um, and you see it, uh, you know, play out, um, you know, with, uh, you know, pornography mm. and, um, you know, lots of ills of society. I think we can lay at the feet of patriarchy and patriarchal religions. Yeah. You know, we and, don't have a healthy view of sexuality or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is that, and you probably know a lot more about this than I do, but I've been really interested in the last maybe year and a half or so of studying the, a lot of the Gnostic traditions in Christianity. And what I'm finding is there was a, seems like in a lot of places, not everywhere, but in a lot of places, there was a, a bit of a deeper appreciation for the feminine and the divine feminine. And I find it interesting that a lot of the documents, a lot of the books, the letters, whatever you want to call them, that were outcast or demonized by some of the Orthodox church fathers are these books that give a place for the divine feminine and how those were kind of almost like hidden from us. Cause I'm reading some of these books. I'm like, this stuff is really interesting to me. And it's really fascinating that there are traces of this throughout the Christian religion. Whereas I was handed growing up this very narrow tradition as you probably were as well, that, you know, the, the men are at the top and the men are leading the men are doing all these things. It's men, 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 and the women's voice is kind of, pushed to the side, whereas a lot of these documents that have been pushed aside are trying to give a voice 
to the to the to the feminine. I think that's very very telling to me. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I mean, it is it is very telling, and um, you know, and I'm glad you bring that up because, like the Gospel of Mary, for instance, mm-hmm. um, you know that, and and you know that was just uh, you know totally shoved aside. Uh, the Holy Trinity, for instance, you know, the Holy Ghost used to be Sophia. Yeah. Um, you know, it but then, you know, that got uh, you know, that got distorted. Um, I mean, really, I hate to put it like this, but mm-hmm. I I mean Tertullian, for instance, one of the early Christian uh leaders said women were nothing but an incubator for the male seed. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where women weren't even life givers anymore. Yeah. Athena is birthed from Zeus's head. A uh, civil is, you know, uh, humanity is birthed from God and w- women. Well, we're just a box that mm. the male seed grows in. Uh, but it's all about, you know, you know, it's all about the sperm. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's uh, it, it's really crazy uh, when you think about it. But, you know, it's important to look at and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just from a Christian perspective, um, I think about, you know, growing up as a Catholic and, you know, I used to go to Catholic school. We used to have to go to church, I think, at least once a week and then with your family on Sunday. And you have Jesus dying on the cross on the altar. Right. And I heard all my life, you know, about how noble his sacrifice and suffering was. And didn't we want to be just like him? We wanted to emulate that. Well, I think, you know, that sort of warps our thinking. And I think it really brainwashes us or condition us, conditions us that suffering and sacrifice is a good thing. Well, if we grow up thinking suffering and sacrifice is a good thing, and maybe that's going to get us a place in heaven when we die. Well, what does that do while we're living here on earth? Does that set a lot of us up to endure abuse? You know, um, I mean, I was just watching a documentary about the Duggar family uh, in the fundamentalist Christian church they belong to, mm-hmm. and they start um, conditioning um, the desire and will out of especially female children at six months old. They showed something called blanket training, where they put the baby on a blanket and put one of its favorite toys within reach. And as the baby reaches for the toy, the baby's arm gets slapped. And they do this over and over and over and over again till the baby stops reaching for it. And what you end up by the time, what you end up with by the time you're, you know, 15, 20 years old as a woman, you don't even, you have no sense of your own will desires. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you are, you know, they, they had a woman who talked about she went to a Christian retreat and the young women were in a woman's dorm and the men were in the men's dorm and the men were creeping over to their dorm in the middle of the night, crawling into their beds. And they had been so conditioned to never say no, that mm-hmm. they were there to submit Submit and please, you know, they didn't even have the vocabulary to say, get the hell out of here. You wow. don't have any room to be in my bed. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, there's so many layers to all of this mm. and how it af- ends up affecting how we see ourselves, how we see the world, um, how we see our future. 
Um, and for women who, um, you know, sociologists, uh, psychologists will tell you, a woman who grows up without a feminine face of God doesn't have the same self-esteem and she doesn't value herself like someone who has grown up with that archetype wow. or role model of that feminine face of God. You know what you're saying about like having this mentality where what we're taught about God and Jesus and faith and all these things makes us more prone to accept abuse when it comes into our lives. I think it's really true. I was just having a conversation just a, like a few hours before we recorded uh, with a friend, we were talking about that verse. And I think it's in Matthew where Jesus, where Peter rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus goes on to tell Peter that, you know, you've got to carry your cross. You know, you've got to bear your cross. I forget the exact language, but something like that. And for me growing up, like what that was always meant was like, your life is supposed to be hard. Yeah. And so you're being like, the harder it is, the better it is, because that means that you're being like Jesus. And don't you dare complain about your cross because Jesus took it like a man, you know, and he sure he might've shed some tears, but he took it for you and took it for everybody else. So you've got to do the same. And so I always had this mentality that like, if something, if my life seemed like it was too easy, I was like, what am I doing wrong? Because I must be doing something wrong. Like, is God unhappy with me because I don't feel like I'm carrying a cross right now. And I would almost like panic that like my life wasn't wasn't difficult enough. And when someone, when something would cross my path that maybe was abusive in a sense in nature, or maybe it was somebody bringing something into my life that was, you know, that was harmful for me, whatever, I felt like maybe this is a good thing. You know, I didn't think I have like the terminology for it in the moment, but as I look back on it, I, I felt more comfortable that this negative thing was coming into my life because I felt like this must be my cross. This is the cross yeah. that I'm supposed to bear, you know? Yeah. And then how, like how warped is that? Like when I'm thinking about it now, like putting it in this kind of, in the context of your book and this conversation, I just seems so far out there, but to your, to the point of the book, like it's, it's normalized abuse. Like it was, it was normal thinking because yeah. of what I was taught. Yeah. And, and I mean, in Buddhists, uh, I mean, so many people, you know, make all of these religious teachings literal, right? Mm -hmm. And Buddhism says too, life is suffering. Yeah. So instead of going through life and, and asking your children or your loved ones, you know, how is your quality of life? No, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we don't get that because that, you know, that might be, that might be selfish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I feel like um, it, this is almost a, this is an intentional strategy um, and God, I hate the sound of that because it it rings of conspiracy theory. Uh, <laughs> but you, but you know, it, there's certain people that benefit yep. from this, and yep. there's certain people who are the victims of it right. until they figure out um, and walk away. You know, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's hard to walk away because I mean, I remember even like on even as simple as on my podcast, I did a episode once. It was called, it was a series we did called like lies we believe about God. And one of the episodes was that God is a man. That was the lie. And we addressed that using, I think it was, who was it? I forget who came on the show, um, but somebody talked about it. And I mean, the, the uproar that this episode caused with some of my older tribe was just like, it was crazy. Like people just could not wrap their mind around the fact that God is not a man. And like, yeah. I, I can remember thinking that way maybe 10 years ago, 
but now like i'm in this place where like, i think god is gender like that doesn't have a gender like god is god is god you know and i feel yeah. like god god can be male god can be feminine god could be everything all at once because that's just who god is you know and like it was just so hard for people to grasp that and there was yeah. so much resistance to it and you can really see how deep the lie goes when you have yeah. those kinds of conversations with people yeah, I mean, you know, women can't be priests mm -hmm. in a lot of, you know, denominations. Um, yeah. You know, there's a group called Woman Priests, who uh, I think Matthew Fox actually takes part uh, in these sometimes, and uh, Roy Bourgeois. You know, women actually uh, go, um, you know, uh, out in international waters on a ship, and, you know, women are ordained as priests and then come back to their communities who are open to this kinds of thing. Wow. But of course they don't have the, um, you know, the support of the sure. organized church or anything, but that's the extreme. A woman yeah. would have to go to uh, if she has a calling as uh, a minister to her community. Yeah. It's crazy when you think about it, she wants to be in service to her community, but you know, that's the extent she has to go to in order to, you know, maybe do it from, you know, from, uh, you know, that role in life. So, yeah. so one of the things you say in the book is, um, I have so many questions I want to ask you. So I think I'm going to go down this road though. You, you talk about how you, you left, I think you said that you left or you walked away from Christianity. I forget exactly how you worded it, but you embraced this goddess spirituality that you've been, you've been talking about. I was wondering if you could talk to us more about what this looks like for you, like in your personal life because we can talk about theories we can talk about theology all these different things but like what does it look like for you for karen to embrace this goddess spirituality and maybe a little bit about how that could be a good alternative for people like our listeners because i have a lot of people have reached out to me especially we have a discord group for our patreon supporters and people have said in there that like it's hard for them to embrace god like the christian god because in their yeah. mind it's a male and they've yeah. had really bad experiences with their fathers or really bad experiences in church with their pastors. And they just can't wrap their mind around like a male God. And, but right. yet at the same time, it's so internalized in them that God is a man, that God yeah. is male, that they can't wrap their mind around God being anything else. And so like, what would you speak into that situation for people? Well, you know, I will say in the very beginning, I was so angry when I discovered all of the, all of this had been kept from me. Mm. I couldn't even step into a church. Mm. Uh, but then, uh, then, you know, then things shifted. I really sort of mellowed because I looked at the teachings of Jesus, not the uh, Yahweh, you know, the Abrahamic God no. who wants men to sacrifice their sons to him, right? right. Um, but, but I feel like the teachings of Jesus, in a way, go hand in glove with the sacred feminine. Mm. Um, in fact, you know, people look at Jesus and Mary Magdalene or Isis and Osiris as kind of these power couples, if you mm. will, you know, the divine feminine and sacred masculine. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, for me, what does that look like? Well, um, you know, I don't, I, I look at the sacred feminine as a deity, uh, as an archetype, and I look at her as ideals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can look at all her faces across continents and cultures, because she's out there. If you look, um, we just, you know, aren't taught to look. Um, you know, and, and I think just by virtue of that, we see by her many faces, uh, the diversity 
of mm. the sacred feminine. You know, it's not one face, one tradition, one religion. It's it's a full spectrum. And I think that in itself teaches diversity, which teaches inclusiveness, which teaches tolerance, for mm. instance. Um, you know, then, uh, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just one example. But, you know, different goddesses by their myths also teach different things. You know, there's Sedna, an Inuit goddess, for instance, and she's thought to be the gatekeeper between humanity and the creatures of the sea. And if you're one of these Inuit people that, you know, live off the waters of Newfoundland or Canada or Alaska, you depend on the creatures of the sea for your livelihood, for mm. food, for tools, for, uh, you know, fat, for, you know, for oil and all of that stuff. Well, Sedna is the environmental gatekeeper. She says... You can take what you need, but if you take more than you need, you're going to be cut off. Mm. So she's the environmental goddess. Uh, she, you know, that's also a lesson about greed as mm. well. You mm. know, that greed is to be punished and really not endured. Um, you know, you look at the uh, goddess Isis, for instance, her name means the throne. Uh, there's inscriptions on walls where uh, it is by um, her authority, she gives the pharaoh the right to rule. And you'll see her handing the pharaoh um, the a goddess in her hand called Ma'at. Well, Ma'at is like social justice or right action. So it's by the woman, the female goddess, this male pharaoh gets the right to rule. But she is saying, I, I will allow this, I will ordain this, but you must behave using the laws of ma'at, you know, mm -hmm. right action and social justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are just, um, you know, some examples of, you know, of myths that, you know, in themselves, you know, they, they carry these values. But, um, you know, but, but just to sort of get, you know, a little bit more deeply, you know, what does the sacred feminine represent? Well, it's equality, it's mm. justice, um, it's uh, it's gratitude, it's compassion. Uh, it's about um, revering the sacredness of life. Um, you know, it's about generosity. Um, you know, it's about the interconnection of all things and, you know, uh, diversity, you know. And when you start to put all of these values at the fore and you compare it to what we're living in today uh it's a vast difference isn't it yeah you know so we would be looking at different ways of being in the world mm. i mean eric Fromm wrote about um uh this wonderful book uh uh it was about being and having and i feel like this really sort of falls under the umbrella of the sacred feminine he wrote about um having uh it, you know creates this culture where we're you know we're trying to keep up with the joneses so to speak it's mm -hmm. all about our portfolio our assets it's about assets it's about our greed yeah. but if you're into being then if you know if that's how you value yourself not by how much is in your bank book well then it's like well 
what kind of a being are you? You know, um, how do you serve your community? How do you treat your fellow man? Mm. Um, so it's it's a difference between valuing ourselves by the quality of our character and our integrity versus um, you know, how much we have in the bank. Yeah. That that would be something else as well. And I don't know, I quickly see where if these are the values that you hold dear and you really want that talk and you really want society and politics and everything to be structured reflecting these values, then we could manifest a new normal. Yeah. You know, we yeah. wouldn't have to live in this, um, you know, crazy mess that, uh, you know, we're enduring, yeah. you know, we're enduring today. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because all those things that you just mentioned, like those are the things that Jesus taught. Those are the things that Jesus stood for. He stood for, you know, diversity. He stood for inclusion of various types of people. He, you know, stood for sh sharing and generosity, all these different kinds of things. And I think that's really telling because you, you mentioned in the book how, you know, although you, you, you have rejected certain things in the Christian faith, you haven't rejected Jesus, but you've rejected that man-made religious dogma. dogma. Exactly. That's the word that you use and how yeah. it's very different from walking away from the faith as a whole and walking away from these certain things that you don't believe. And I don't believe that Jesus would have stood for. Yeah. I mean, he walked with women. Um, you know, there's, uh, uh, some provocative evidence that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Mary, uh, not one of the other apostles, was it Peter or Paul? I get those two mixed up sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, that Mary uh, was, uh, you know, maybe going to be the leader of the church, yeah. um, you know, and uh, this whole idea that they were, you know, probably married, there's, you know, uh, evidence that that was probably um, a reality, you know, and, and what if, you know, and what if he what if we grew up um with this with the narrative that um jesus and mary were you know the sacred you know the emulated the sacred feminine and divine masculine you know maybe just maybe we would have real family values yeah. and not this hypocrisy that passes for family values yeah. you know uh, you know, love amongst man and woman, you know, sacred sexuality, um, you know, really caring, you know, uh, it, maybe in our politics, we would have a, a really healthy social safety net, like uh, I, you know, think Scandinavian countries do, mm -hmm. instead of politicians that want to go cut food stamps and think they're big guys, you know, they're yeah. doing something good because they're taking food out of poor kids' mouths. Mm. Um you know, it, so it's, you know, this all becomes uh, personal, political. Um, it it uh, interweaves into so many facets of life, yeah. you know, and, and it really makes us, I think, uh, we have to think about our choices then. Yeah. Wow. Well, Karen, listen, we're just about out of time, but this <laughs> has been, this has been a lot of fun. I feel like we have so much more that we could explore there's oh, a yeah. lot of things I wanted to get to that we didn't. So maybe we have to do a part two because uh, I have a lot. I think we can learn a lot more from you. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And really, I'd love to come back because there is so much we didn't even get a chance to get to. 
Yeah, for sure. And real quick, uh, where can people go to interact with you and your work online? Okay. Um, well, uh, my website is sort of the hub for everything. It's mm -hmm. karentate.net. Um, I do my own podcast and have for about a decade. It's called Voices of the Sacred Feminine, you know, where I talk to men and women um, who are way showers and, uh, you know, wise, wise ones, uh, you know, of both genders, uh, trying to help us, um, you know, look at ideas to, uh, you know, create a new normal in mm. society. But you can find the podcast through the, you know, through my website, KarenTate.net. Awesome. Well, I'll put the links in the show notes and uh, we'll do it again soon. Okay. Sounds good. All right.